just got human. She used to giggle at a funeral. Was everybody's disapproval? I should have worshipped her sooner. If the heavens ever did speak, she's the last true mouthpiece. Every Sunday's getting more bleak. Fresh poison each week. We were born sick. Welcome to the Talking Book Podcast. I'm Perry Patterson and I write new adult romance. And I am MK Stabley and I write cozy mysteries with a paranormal twist. Tonight on our podcast, we are welcoming author L.M. Archer, and she has written a four book series, which she calls the Take Me to Church series. It involves four books. She has written a total of five, and her books fall into the LGBTQ plus genre, specifically M.M. Romance. And when um, and your your first name is really it's Lena, right? Is yes, it? Do you want yeah. us? Do you want us to call you Lena? Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And yeah, Lena is perfectly fun. Okay, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Um, you first reached out to me um, when we first started the podcast. It was in January, so we're very new. But um, you reached out to me and you just asked, you know, by the way, you know, I write LGBTQ+. Is it okay? And I wrote back, sure, of course, you know, our platform is when we started the podcast, we wanted to feature indie authors and we wanted to put a spotlight on indie authors. We're indie authors ourselves. So we know how it is to get recognized. And I think among the author, um, you know, the authors that are, you know, in the indie genre, I think that we're very supportive of each other and we want to be very supportive of other authors. And so that was, you know, I was immediately sure, of course, yes, we will. I mean, I did say, Oh, by the way, MK and I don't really read that genre. And you're like, okay. But having said that, I have read all four of your books. And I and I downloaded them on Kindle and I've read all four of them. Now, normally MK and I do read um, the books because, you know, people put their information on the, the survey form, you know, when they want to be on the podcast, we read through yeah. that so that we can, um, we do tend to buy and sometimes she'll read a different book from that author and I'll read a different book, but we do do that. I mean, that was, that's usually what we do anyway. Um, but having said that, I do want to give you a little introduction. And then I also want you to be thinking about something like a fun fact that, maybe we don't know about you or something that would be fun to talk about. So think about that while I'm giving an introduction. And um, so L.M. Archer was first drawn to writing as a way to express her feelings when oftentimes she found that she couldn't say them out loud. That's why her writing is more on the dark side of the romance spectrum. She tends to write in a way that showcases real scenarios and events. 
Her books tackle mental health, moral values, religion, and many other topics that are raw and real. She is not afraid to make her readers look at the darker side of humanity and question the very foundation of life and existence. The topics in her books can be triggering, but she is a firm believer that you need to shed light on certain situations because keeping them in the dark only hurts more. So that's a bio that you sent us. Thank you for sharing that with us. And if you want to tell us a little fun fact, then. Okay. Well, um, I guess a fun fact that my readers mostly know this, but I think uh, it's just a really fun fact to have. I uh, grew up in a conservative Christian household, but I went on to study religion in college. Uh, so, uh, that's a, and I also studied anthropology. So, um, I always joke that the only thing I've done with my religious studies degree is write these books. <laughs> okay. Well, and having said that, I do want to let our listeners know anybody that's watching live and anybody that's going to listen to this later on Spotify, um, that this is going to be an open space, a safe space. And we want to be very open and, um, honest with each other, because I think that the more that you find out about other people, um, is, is a good thing because honestly, there should never be anyone that says, oh, well, your opinion is wrong because there shouldn't be anybody that says that that's ridiculous yeah. because on, you should not, I mean, because a lot of times you don't know unless you ask, oh, how did you land on that, you know, idea or or information yeah. or belief, unless you ask them and find out more about them, you would not know. So, and certainly I think it's important to ask those questions and to find out. Now, with all of that being said, we know that people read a lot of different genres of books and that's mm -hmm. why, you know, we want to feature indie authors on our podcast because reading can be very subjective. You like what you like and you, you know, we understand that there are a wide variety of genres. And so that's what the point of the podcast is to shed the light. Now, yeah. and having said that, I do want to let you know, I am a Jesus follower. I'm going to say Jesus follower, not Christian, because <laughs> I think Christian can tend to I have a negative attitude, you know, connotation toward that. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to say that I think that Jesus showed us love and he showed us love in a very, very important way when he was here. And he was criticized often, I think, by who he was hanging out with and, and um, who he was spending time with criticized very often. And then also even for healing people on the Sabbath was very criticized, but I did grow up in the church and, um, and I go to a non-denominational church here in the Atlanta area. Now, um, that is one of those churches that is very welcoming to everyone. And I do believe that God's love is for everyone. And I do believe that there is love and forgiveness, um, for, anyone that is seeking that. And I think that is, is the main thing that, you know, I feel is very important, um, for me. And so I want to make sure that, you know, I'm hopefully showing that to everyone that I come in contact with. And, and I know that actions, you know, how you live your life and how you, how you tend to do things is very important. So, yeah. Yeah, and I completely respect that. Uh, actually, one of my best friends who uh, Alpha read this as I was writing the series, uh, she is a firm believer in God and Jesus, and she's a lot like you. She's kind of, uh, you know, she believes in love and acceptance, and uh, she didn't have any issues with the things I wrote about in the book uh, because she's like, yeah, 
some Christians do do that. And I think it's important to shed light on mm-hmm. those topics. Uh, so she's kind of very similar to you. And I, I really respect that. Uh, I try not to disrespect religion at all. I just do have a degree in it and I have my own personal beliefs and I don't know if those come through in the series and if they do good. Some people say that they ask me, they're like, what do you believe? And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) cause I like to keep the mystery, but I think that if you really read it and you can probably figure it out. Um, but yeah, um, I do respect people who, who believe in God and believe in Jesus and, you know, follow whatever religion they want, as long as they don't shove it down others' throat. Right. And um, we are going to get into some of the specifics um, of the characters, um, Harlan and Luca in the book um, in just a minute, but I'm going to let MK ask a few initial questions first before we dive into some of the deeper topics in the book. If that's okay. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) I'll just go with the flow. (laughs) Okay, well, by the way, you have like the cutest accent. Where are you originally from? <laughs> I am uh, from West Virginia. So we pretend we're the South and we're not. <laughs> but I am from Southern West Virginia. Um, and okay. they, the character, like the series is loosely based in the Appalachian region. I don't give it a specific city or even state. I just say the South. Uh, but it's based very much on like culture from uh, how I grew up. Okay, that's, that's what we well, were kind of wondering. Can I can I just say with okay? Well, I grew up. I was born in Alabama. Yeah. I graduated from the University of Alabama, and I grew up in South Louisiana, which is near New Orleans. So I kind of mm-hmm. grew up like going to the French Quarter when I was just a child. I mean, it was kind of very close to where I lived, and so I kind of I feel very connected to New Orleans and the French Quarter, but. I would never consider, I mean, just from where I'm from, I live in Atlanta now, obviously MK and I both live in Atlanta area, but you know, I would never consider West Virginia considered the South. I had no idea. So you, but you would consider it the South or just. Uh, Personally, I know history and I know U.S. history and I know civil war history and West Virginia was not a part of the South. Uh, However, if you ask the people in my area, they're, you know, very, um, yeah, they think they're the South. Okay. <laughs> like they, they, they think they're the South. There's like Confederate flags everywhere. Uh, and, you know, they, they huh. say Southern pride. And I'm really? like, you obviously skipped a total of eighth grade because that was all West Virginia history and you skipped that completely. Right. But I personally do not consider us the South. But I am from basically a border of, like, I lived on the border of Kentucky, um, which is very much south and also Ohio, which was more, uh, was the other side. So it was very interesting. Oh yeah. (laughs) I can literally where I live currently, I could go to Ohio within like 20 minutes. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we pretend we're south, but we're not. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to, I know in one of the books, there is um, mention of um, conversion camps yes. and stuff like that. Did you do research on those or do you have somebody that you know was subjected to one of those? Um, I did a lot, a lot, a lot of research. Um, I honestly made it 
a little bit lighter than some of the stuff I found. Um, Mm -hmm. and I went into some pretty heavy details about it. Um, I personally never went through it. I do believe though, that if my parents had ever found out, they would have been tempted to like put me in like a one-on-one session, uh, with the preacher if they had ever found out my sexuality, uh, which can be a version of conversion therapy. Um, because a lot of these places, even if it's illegal, they'll do it underground and they'll do like one-on-one sessions with a preacher and pretend that that's therapy. When in reality, the preacher is just spending the entire time trying to tell them all the reasons why being gay is bad. Um, so it's not something I personally went through, but I heard my whole life about how being gay is a sin and how it's a choice and we need to pray for homosexuals and all of these other things. And then I first learned about conversion therapy as a whole in classes Um, in college. And then when I was writing this book and I decided that I definitely wanted to take it there, I wanted to be realistic and I did a crap ton of research on it. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering, I mean, and the other thing was, is I was kind of um, wondering what made you, you know, what made you choose this specific genre or subject to write a whole series about? Well, it's a, it's a personal subject for me. Um, I, like I just mentioned, I am, uh, queer. I'm bisexual. I grew up in the South. I grew up in a place where I was constantly told that gay people are going to go to hell and it's wrong and blah, blah, blah. And as I got older and I, my worldview just started to shift, I realized how wrong it was to say that to people and how so many people have such a hard time with their sexuality because they're ashamed of it, because they're taught to be ashamed of it. Um, So I used not only my conservative Christian upbringing, but my degree in religious studies to start this book. And then I knew that I wanted Luca to go to conversion therapy, uh, but I didn't know if I wanted to go in detail when I started writing it. And then I just decided, let's go for it. Let's put it in detail. And that was really important for me because um, I mentioned this in a recent TikTok video. I chose to do that because so many people who go through conversion therapy, they can't skip the page. They can't uh, go to a different chapter. They can't skip that scene. They can't just shut the book. They have to live it. And if you, if I can make someone do one iota of that and understand what these people go through and the kind of brainwashing that happens at these places, then I feel like I did my job because so many people have written to me and said, I didn't even know this existed. I Googled it and it's legal in my state and I Googled it. It's legal in my country. I Googled it and I had no idea this was a thing. And so just knowing that I put that kind of impact on somebody just means the world to me. Yeah, I, I I had no idea really. I mean, I think maybe I've somewhat maybe heard about it, but I guess I didn't realize how realistic it was. And I can actually kind of understand, you know, where you're coming from being in a church that is saying you can't, you can't, you can't is going to make you question. And it's also going to make you pull farther away because those are not you know, accepting or loving, you know, that kind of goes way against what I think, you know, God really is about. And it, it, it just kind of goes to show you that, you know, 
people can be very prideful, people can be very arrogant. And those characteristics are something that, you know, absolutely, we don't really appreciate at all. And, you know, no, we don't, but they're very bad characteristics to, to show. But unfortunately, yeah. we can be, you know, we can be very selfish. Um, even the little, you know, toddlers, you know, when you're a parent, you're, you know, did you eat the cookie? And, you know, the, they look up at you with the crumbs on their mouth and a smear of chocolate on their chin and say, no, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, they're not being told how to lie or how to be selfish, but yet it's there from the beginning. So we know that, you know, we have, you know, these flaws of, of, of being, um, you know, non-perfect and definitely have very, sometimes very inappropriate, you know, attitudes or things like that. But it yeah. definitely, I can definitely see being in that situation, um, being just making you want to question everything. Um, yeah. and yeah you know, it being very, very difficult and very hard. And I saw that through the characters, um, Luca and Harlan, um, it was very realistic in a way, obviously, but, but because, um, in, in a way it seemed like, okay, well, they're seniors in high school. They must be in a very small town somewhere, but where I grew up, you know, guys, I, I graduated from high school in 1985. I mean, that just kind of shows yeah. you how old I am, but, um, <laughs> When, where I was in high school, it was like guys were coming to, to school in full makeup. I mean, where I was from, yeah, no, this was like a normal thing. And of course we had jelly yeah. bracelets up to our elbows and we had our pants rolled yeah. up and jelly shoes on and huge earrings and guys were in full on makeup and two shirts and their collars up and oh, their yeah. sleeves rolled up. I mean, it was just a very, you know, fashionable high school, but it was a very progressive high school. I lived in an area of South Louisiana that was probably probably the wealthiest part of Louisiana because a lot of people in the area that I lived were in the oil business. So their parents were mm -hmm. halfway living in Dubai, Saudi Arabia part of the time and halfway living, you know, we had a lot of foreign exchange students. So I lived in a very um, wealthy area of Louisiana where people were in, this was before the oil boom busted. And I think it was around 1985 or 86 when the oil um, crash happened. But before that, it was a very, very lucrative business to be in. And I went to this high school where it was just, you know, people were very progressive, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, and, um, and probably a wealthy area. So I just wasn't, you know, even though I, w it wasn't something that was talked about back then, not really. Um, it was, you know, it wasn't until I guess, I don't know. I just, but it was just surprise. I guess today in like today's high schools, like m my kids go to a seven, eight high school. So it's a very big high school, mm -hmm. 4,000 students. Um, you know, they're, um, I would, I would, I think that it's more open, like from what I could oh, gather, yeah. it's more open, yeah. like in the college. Uh, but at the same time in these rural communities, it's just like, it feels like it, you go back in time. So mm -hmm. if I go back to the little hauler I grew up on, there's no cell phone service. There, my parents do not have internet. They don't have TV. Um, so it feels like you're going back in time. And I think the little, the high schools and stuff like that reflect that community. And I know that my perspective is very different than yours. And I went to school, uh, I graduated like in 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. I don't remember. Uh, but it, 
it's one of those things that that's how it was when I went to school. So I did base it on that mm -hmm. experience. Like if someone, if a boy was wearing makeup, they were automatically an outcast. Um, we had maybe one or two boys in my entire school that would be daring enough to come to school wearing black eyeliner, never lipstick. Um, and hopefully it is different now. I have not been to my high school. Mm -hmm. I do not have children, so I can't um, say one way or another, but I know that rural, rural communities definitely are behind on a lot of the trends and um, the progressiveness. Uh, okay. Just in, like, I feel like I grew up in the 80s in a lot of ways because of the fact that I grew up in a community that was just so far behind on technology, on uh -huh. style, fashion choices, all of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I in, in book one, you do mention that there is a woman um, working in the office who looked like she just stepped out of 1980 something. I was yeah. I was waiting for that description of her outfit. I, I didn't quite I didn't quite get that description that I was wanting, though. I, I was like hoping I was hoping for that description like, oh, I can't wait to see what she's wearing. Can't wait for that one. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, both graduated in the 80s. <laughs> well, I was one of my alpha readers always tells me I need to be more descriptive in what they're wearing, and I just am like that kind of sometimes will date a book, though. If you're not, yeah, <laughs> I'm when I write my stories, I'm very descriptive about what they're wearing, but I was also a fashion yeah. merchandising major in college, so oh, I don't know anything about fashion. You're lucky if I can get dressed in the mornings, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Speaking to the person who's wearing a t-shirt, a beer brand t-shirt with pearls, I mean, and I'm wearing ripped black jeans. I love it. Ripped black shorts. <laughs> anyway, I, um, I, I did work in the retail industry for a very long time. Um, and I do want to say, um, that, and back in the day when I was in high school and college, brand names and, and fashion and things like that were very important to me. I kind of think it still probably is a little bit. Um, I love a good outfit, a good put together outfit. But I will say your books are very, very well written. Um, they were very good as far as like Thank just you. the the wording is sometimes very poetic. It's almost literary <laughs> to a point. Um, yeah. and I found book three to be very fast paced and almost thriller in feel because it was one of those where you were like, what's going to happen next, yeah. you know, I and you're on almost on right. the edge of your seat with, Ooh, what is going to happen next? Are they, you know, are they going to escape? What is happening? You know, very tense, very emotional. Um, but a lot of the book is very emotional and, um, the character of Harlan and Luca, Luca being the one who's from this kind of strict um, family. Well, his stepfather is the strict yeah. one. The stepfather is the one who's kind of like the harsh, cruel, almost um, just very belligerent in his yeah. attitude and very pious in his attitude. And it's very unappealing. Um <laughs> You know, I think most people probably find that attitude, that that arrogance and that, you know, very unappealing. Um, yeah. So, you know, or I, I find that very unappealing. Um, so, you know, he's very he's questioning his faith. He's also questioning his sexuality. He doesn't understand it. And then he meets Harlan, who 
has had an experience or an unpleasant experience. And you find out, I think about that in book three, maybe where he talks yeah. about that, um, <laughs> what happened to him earlier, several years earlier, which was um, very unfortunate, almost like a catfishing. Do Have you seen the show Catfish? Um, yeah. yeah okay. Okay. And that's what it reminded me of. Um, so, you know, Harlan is also kind of trying to, you know, say some things and kind of give um, his opinions to Luca about a lot of different things. And, you know, there's all of these discussions about, you know, God and the Bible and this and that and the other. And, you know, so I had a little bit of, you know, I'm reading it. And of course I'm reading it from, you know, a standpoint of someone who's a believer. And so I'm reading and he's saying, well, you know, Mary, when, you know, she told Joseph about the angel coming to her and then, he probably didn't believe her. So, you know, um, you know, she just made all, he just assumed that she made it up. And honestly, I think that the reaction that Joseph had was he didn't believe her because he then, he makes the plan to, to divorce her quietly. And Uh so when, you know, God realizes what his plans are. An angel comes to him and says the exact same things that he's the angel told Mary, which is, you know, this is Uh how it's going to happen. You're going to name him Jesus. He's um, Mary. Nothing has happened to Mary. This is all of the Holy spirit. She's not been defiled in any way. This is all of God. And this is to, you know, for the prophecy, he's going to be born in the town of David and you will take Mary as your wife and you'll name him Jesus and he will save his people from his sins. But they don't get into all of that discussion. It just kind of, there's too much to do. Yeah. (laughs) Like that was one thing that was really difficult for this book is that it was towing the line of somewhat too much information and I didn't mm-hmm. want to make the discussions really drawn out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I wanted to make them organic in a lot of ways. So it was a really hard thing to do because I could have written like another three books if I wanted to make these mm-hmm. theological discussions as detailed and as um, back and forth as they could be. Uh, but I just, I just didn't think, I think that one that would be kind of tedious for the reader, especially if they're not super interested in theology. Um, so it was a very interesting line to toe. I do have a lot of people that will come into, um, my direct messages and want to talk a little bit more about something that uh, maybe Harlan and Luca have discussed in the book. And I'm, I have that discussion with them and mm-hmm. I've never told anyone, Oh, you're wrong. Or I, sometimes I'm like, Oh, that's a really good point. I don't know what to say to that. And, um, it, it was just, it was one of those things that the theological discussions were a lot of fun to write, but I also didn't want to bore people. And that was my worry. <laughs> like the mm-hmm. back and forth, I, the, they were already really long. Some of the, I think the one in, um, the chapter where they're at the park and they're with their friends. I think that one's like six to 7,000 words long. Um, I know it probably doesn't seem that long when you're reading it, but I was just, I didn't want to bore people and I didn't want to give them too much information and get really deep into theology. Um, like I could have, I just try to keep it interesting, um, factual and Mm -hmm also kind of surface level because they are they are in high school um and they are having these really interesting thought-provoking deep discussions uh Mm -hmm. but at the same time 
you know, I don't want people to get bored and feel like they're reading a textbook. And I think that was a, a really big back and forth that I had with it. Because mm-hmm. um, I ended up, when I was editing it, I removed um, some of the wordiness in the discussions and some of the back and forth because I just didn't want it to be boring. Right. Okay. Um, what you, what I did feel, I mean, I felt a lot of heartache for Harlan. Um, I felt his, his pain a lot. I felt like there was for, for me, I felt more for Harlan and maybe a look, maybe because I kind of thought that Luca was kind of on the edge of like maybe not understanding a lot of things and kind Mm -hmm. of like not really sure of himself in a lot of ways. Whereas I kind of felt like Harlan might've been more, a little bit more sure of himself, but yet more heartbroken in a way. Yes. Yeah. Um, I agree with that, especially in the beginning, uh, before I broke Luca, Harlan was the broken one. And, um, I wanted to show readers the difference in uh, perspective and how someone was raised. So Luca was from a fairly wealthy family. Um, He, you know, had loving, well, somewhat loving parents. Um, And, you know, he, he Mm -hmm. never wanted for anything really other than to like feel some sense of like um, individuality and independence. Whereas Harlan, he, was very impo- he grew up very impoverished he had a single mom he had this terrible thing that happened to him that you don't find out until book three um so i really wanted to show the difference that perspectives can make and um harlan is just a little sweetie baby pie <laughs> like i love him to death <laughs> um they're both based on fast like uh place different pieces of me, but neither of them are fully me. Uh, but Harlan definitely is my baby. And I, I think that I, writing the books, I thought people would uh, be more invested in the Luca because it kind of becomes his story as much as I don't like saying that because it's definitely both of their stories. But I think that like, as I've heard feedback from readers, people have fallen in love with Harlan. <laughs> and I, I get it because I fall, I fell in love with both of them by the end, obviously, because they're my babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but Harlan is just a little, you, you really feel for him, especially in the beginning. And you don't know exactly why he's so mm-hmm. closed off and why he feels like he doesn't deserve attention or love. Right. And right. one of the, one of the things um, in the book is there's a lot of um, safety and security. Um, and that's very important. I think to Harlan is that um, things are safe and, respectful and consequential you know i want to make sure that you're consenting um this is very important that we're both in agreement with what's happening between i i noticed that that was very important part of the book part of the characters and um so I, I you know that's a good thing that i found that was in there um even though the characters are older i think they start out at 18 um seniors in high school they become turn 19 so they're all already i mean even though they're children they're adult children yeah um so they're but they're they're being or harlan is being very respectful in how he relates to the the physical relationship that takes place he wants to make sure that you know 
there there's an agreement there between them that this is okay. And yeah. I think that's important um, in the book. So do you want to speak on that a, a little bit of the importance yeah. of that? Um, I'm big on consent in books anyway, like uh, having a conversation about consent because I, I think it's very important. And um, as someone who writes new, new adults, uh, someone might be reading my books who may not be as um, sexually active or know a lot about sex sometimes. So I think I want my books to be somewhat educational in that way and that they should be able to have, speak openly about consent and what they're comfortable doing. Um, and with Harlan's character in specific, he had been betrayed so much with what happened in his past and then what continued to happen to him. Um, he was really closed off and it was, I think it was important for him to know that Luca wanted it just as much as he did. Um, especially since, especially after what Luca had gone through, um, cause Harlan knew from a intimate perspective of what it's like to have your humanity shredded from you in some ways brutally, um, and trying to get that back. So, uh, it was important and Harlan really cared for Luca. He did from the beginning, even though he pretended he didn't. Um, so I think consent was such a big part of that because mm -hmm. they that because harlan knew what it was like to not give consent to certain things um and i'm not saying there's any uh dubious con mm -hmm. <laughs> consent in here or any non-con mm -hmm. um but you know it's just one of those things that like harlan knew what it was like to be hurt and he would never want to hurt anybody else right okay um and also there's a scene in book four that's very, very intense that takes place in the abandoned church where yeah. um, Harland finds Luca there. Luca um, is really crying out to God, show yourself. I need to know. Um, I can't live like this anymore. Um, he's kind of at his wits end with, with what's happening and emotionally kind of a wreck at that point. Harlan finds him because I guess he, he somehow noticed he ran in that direction and went and found yeah, him. Yeah, he followed him. Um, so Harlan shows up on the scene and then there's this enormous um, emotional um, content that takes place. I mean, it's very intense with what Harlan yeah. is saying because he's literally kind of like trying to shake Luca into like, wake up from this that you, I know that you've been, in this conversion camp and it's ruined you and it's messed you up and it's messed you up mentally and it's messed, messed you up physically and everything. But I'm here to tell you, you know, you can count on me, rely on me. But also I felt like Harlan was angry to the point where he's like, there is no God. There is no God there. He's not here. He's not real. I'm the one that's real. This is real. What we have between us is real. Our feelings for each other are real. We can taste it. We can feel it. We can see it. Um, all of those kinds of things. Um, so I, 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 again, I felt pain because I felt like Harlan is heartbroken in a way. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, that, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, that to this day is like one of my favorite things I've ever written. Mm -hmm. Um, it was so hard yet rewarding to write. And a part of it was because there was just so much buildup and buildup and buildup and you were just waiting for it. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to like let people down. <laughs> so that like as a writer, that was really hard. Um, but 
I think it needed to happen and like and Harlan was heartbroken he was tired of because at that point Luca had said some not so nice things to him he kept pushing him away and Harlan kept trying and it just it it all came to a head to where Harlan was like I can't keep going back and forth with you I need to shake you out of it so he mm-hmm. did things that were somewhat shocking um, that he might not have done otherwise, especially because Harlan, throughout the whole series, he never lost his temper. Mm-hmm. He never, like, got mad at Luca. He never got mad at what was going on. Um, he usually mm-hmm. took, if he was angry and emotionally, took it out on himself. Um, so this scene was really important because Harlan was, it was, like, well known that he wasn't the type to show emotions Mm -hmm. uh, in front of people. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though he had like cried in front of Luca in the past, he still, he never lost his temper. He Mm -hmm. always kept his cool and calm. And I think he needed to snap a little bit to get Luca to snap out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, that's one of my favorite scenes that I've ever written because it is, it's very emotional. I try to make it emotional at least. Yeah. And then what it leads to is I kind of think is a little shocking, which is, which is I'm fine with. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, well, yeah. In a, I'm trying not to. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't, we don't want to give any spoilers out no, as right. to what, what happens next, but the emotion the emotion that Harlan is showing in this moment in this abandoned church where he's, you know, throwing his hands up, he's throwing the finger up, you know, at God and saying, you, you know, you don't exist. And, you know, but then he go, then he, then he'll go back and say to Luca, but I'm not trying to convert you into being an atheist. I want you just to understand and see there might be some things that you need to, think about or realize and for me i'm thinking but um about things like well you know i understand that you know there's a lot of rules in the old testament and i and i think that the rules in the old testament were a lot of times for their safety or for their or for you know they had to cook their food a certain way or they couldn't eat a certain thing because of health reasons or they had to um make the wine the water with wine because it killed the bacteria and they had to you know, make yeah. sure they were drinking something that was not going to hurt them. And God yeah. had all these rules about, you know, washing and cleaning so that they could be, you know, health wise, it was for, you know, for their health and safety purposes, I think a lot of the rules. But I also think when Jesus died in the curtain, that really thick curtain that was torn from the top to the bottom that allowed anybody to the throne of God from that point was like saying, all those rules don't matter. Those things are in the past. What matters now is you have redemption. You have salvation. You have, you know, it's free gift. You know, God has provided the lamb and you don't have to continue to bring the sacrifice to the temple anymore. Continuously bringing a dove or a lamb or yeah. a blood sacrifice. It, God has taken care of this for you and I've provided my son and, and this is for you to accept. So I kind of feel like, okay, well, yeah, there's, there were rules and there were things, you know, that they could or could do. And I think even to this day, some of the things that, you know, Harlan is like saying is like, oh, well, it's wrong to divorce or it's wrong to, and there was some weird thing about different fabrics being worn. Yeah, there is. There's one like that. That's an Old Testament. Uh, So, um, 
I don't remember which chap, which book or chapter, but you it's know, in the Old Testament. And so, and I, and I'm thinking, well, you know, working too much could be a problem if it affects your family in an unpleasant way, yeah. or eating too much could be a health problem, or drinking too much can affect your life or your job or whatever. Doing too much of certain thing might be bad, but maybe a little bit of that in, you know. In, in the right context, moderation yeah. isn't. So it's kind of like, you know, there's those things where it almost seemed like, you know, they were saying it has to be this way. It has to be this way. It can't, yeah. And there weren't, they weren't seeing that, the, they were seeing too much of the, the rules and the, pro, you know, uh-huh. all of that was just kind of always a problem. And it just seemed like cut to the chase. It's really not about <laughs> that. It's really not about that. It's really, you know, just, come to know it's a relationship between you and yeah. you know it's that one-on-one relationship between Jesus and you it's you and it has nothing to do with all this other stuff and he does but he, some people aren't taught that some mm-hmm. people are not taught that they are not taught that it's a one-on-one relationship between you and Jesus or you and God they are taught that uh they have to follow these rules in order to get into heaven and they are taught that they are mm-hmm. born sick with original sin mm-hmm. they are taught that because they are women they are less than and they're not allowed to speak in a church mm-hmm. and to say that they're not is wrong because i was taught that mm-hmm. so right. harlan he had been so traumatized by religion at that point and it was try it was further becoming an issue in his life with uh luca and what he went through and now he lost someone that he really cared about because of religion and then he just heard all of these horrific things that luca had went through and i think that is perfectly human for him to snap and be like there is no god i'm tired of you you know going through this with you and we all say things in the heat of the moment that we might not necessarily regret or not necessarily don't mean, but that, you know, we all say something in the heat of the moment that we might not think before we say or say it as eloquently as we normally would if we weren't angry. Um, And at the end, in like the last few, the last several chapters, Harlan did say, you know, it's okay if you believe in God. And he didn't want him to necessarily give up his faith in completion. He wanted him to give up this ideation that, um, being gay means that you are sick. And I have a lot of other character side characters in there that do keep their faith throughout. There's Ezra, there is, um, uh, um, sorry, Luca's mom. She's, she ends up, she still goes to church in the end. She goes with, um, she goes on and off with her, uh, the guy that she, you know, ends up with. Um, so there are, there are countless characters that do continue with their faith. It's just, I didn't feel that that was Luca's path. And I, I went back and forth on that a lot if I wanted him to continue to believe in God. Um, but at the end of the day, I just felt that after everything he's gone through, and everything that religious religion had put him through. And I'm not saying that all Christians, I'm saying that it was an organized religion that did this, that he wouldn't be able to continue his belief and still accept himself in a lot of ways. So that Mm -hmm. was a conscious decision on my part. um, Because I think a lot of a, a, a conversation that's been happening a lot more in recent years is um, deconstruction and ex-evangelicalism and um, that religious trauma and how people are starting to open up on how religion has traumatized them to the point where they realize that 
if there was a God and he was a good and loving God, then why did he let me go through this at the hands of people who supposedly worshiped him? So I think at the end of the day, it was, it was a conscious decision to make Mm -hmm. Luca choose, um, not to believe in God. Um, Mm -hmm. but he's still a good person. So even if he doesn't believe in God, does that mean he's going to go to hell just because he doesn't believe or, he's still a really good person. He does everything he can for his sisters. He loves Harlan to death. Um, he helped Asher. Um, so I think it's just coming to terms with understanding that you don't need to believe in God to be a good person. And being a good person is not tied to your faith. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen the movie? I think it came out recently. It's called Redeeming Love. It's based on a book by Francine Rivers. I just watched it on Peacock the other night. And it is, a his, it, her book is historical fiction. And it takes place during California during the gold rush. And it's, um, it's about a prostitute who's in a brothel in this like small gold mining town. And then this uh, farmer who lives outside of town who sees her walking, um, taking a walk, and he says, oh, who is that? She's absolutely gorgeous. And so, you know, he finds out who she is and what she does, and he pays extra money just to go and talk to her, not to have sex with her. And and she's very confused by this, you know, because this is what she does, or she's, you know, in this brothel. And apparently these, coal, uh, not coal miners, um, gold miners are paying like for a lottery ticket so they can Mm -hmm. win a lottery to spend time with her. Um, And so he's paying extra money (laughs) to go and just have a conversation and he wants to, but the whole thing is so good. The movie is so good and it's based on this book. And I, I ordered the book after seeing the movie, but it's redeeming love by Francine rivers. And I ordered Mm -hmm. the book after I watched it because it was so, it was just so good, but it was like, it was like this movie that seems to like capture like God's love and like how he reaches out and just kind of like shows I'm, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actively active, actively, you know, reaching out. I'm actively, you know, and it just kind of, it was just the way that, um, and it's a lot, it's of course it's a, it's a movie that's got a lot of stuff and it's a lot is kind of a dark movie. I don't know if it's rated R, it might be PG 13, but, um, and the actors, I know some of the actors are British and they do really good American accents. Um, and they're really, it's really good. It's, it's just a movie that really takes you to a lot of different places and it's got some dark themes, but it's got a very, I think just a very positive message on love and forgiveness and acceptance. And, you know, no matter what you've done, you know, you are lovable, you are loved and accept, you know, that's the kind of message that it portrays. And so I cried probably through most of the movie, but <laughs> I really liked it. And so I was like, I need to get yeah. this book that this is, movie is based on. Apparently the book was written in the 90s and the movie was just made in 2020, I think. I don't think I've heard of it. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted my, my books to be, you know, based on love and trust and um, self-acceptance in a lot of ways. 
Um, I think you can find anecdotal evidence anywhere that God loves you, but I think you can find just as much evidence that God hates people. So I, I don't know if I necessarily think that, you know, I like that God loves everybody because there's a lot of starving people in this world. And I was one of them at that point, at one point. Um, but the message in this book was more so learning your own strength and accepting yourself and learning to love yourself um, and knowing that you aren't wrong just because you're gay. Um, that's what I wanted people to take away from it. And I wanted people to take away that you do not choose your sexuality. Um, and if it was a choice, people would probably choose not to do it because of the trauma that they've been through uh, based on their sexuality and who they're attracted to. Um, and it's completely not fair, but uh, a lot of people who go through to, through uh, conversion therapy, straight camps, whatever you want to call it, they end up committing suicide because they just can't realign who they are and how they feel with what they were told, who they told were told who they were and what they felt. Um, and that's just the reality of it. Um, so I think it's perfectly fair to say, yeah, there are loving Christians and there are Christians who love and accept and, um, you know, think that is are very loving and believe in a loving God, but it's just as easy to find Christians that believe in a hateful God and that believe that gay people are wrong and they need to be punished and they need, they need the gay beaten out of them. Um, and you hear that a lot. Okay. And, and that's real. And it's, it's unfortunate. I just think it's, 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 it's something that certainly we need to bring out into the light into you know, to let people be aware of it. And I think, you know, your books are, are very honest and real about the things that, you know, you've written about. I think that, you know, I mean, I think that there are, there are circumstances that we don't understand, um, there's a lot of things that, you know, that are wrong in the world that, you know, I, and I think it has more to do with the fact that we live just in a fallen world and things are not going to be perfect and there's going to be sickness and illness. But I think that in heaven, there isn't going to be sickness or illness or, or unhappiness or anything that's, um, you know, damaging or sad or destructive or anything that's flawed. I don't think any of that kind of thing is in heaven. I think it's only good light love. Um, you know, and I think time doesn't pass in heaven. I think it's always in the present. So I think that, you know, we live in kind of things that are, are going to be really awful and a, things that are sometimes really good. So we have kind of a mix of both here, a little bit of the bad that we, but when we see the bad, we certainly appreciate the good because of the bad, you know, we appreciate, you know, what God can do when we allow him to, or whatever it, you know, to be appreciative of those sorts of things that, you know, I mean, I can drive past a field of yellow flowers in a meadow and I know they're weeds, but they're absolutely gorgeous. And the way the sun glints down on them and the, and the horses that are grazing in the field, I just look at that and I'm driving in the car and I'm like, breath, it's breathtaking. And it takes me back and it just, I'm like, Oh, that is so beautiful. And I think to myself, you know, it's a creation. It's, you know, it's beautiful. It's, you know, and I, 
and I guess I feel like, you know, some of the arguments that are made, oh, you know, God doesn't exist or whatever. And I think to myself, but there's a creation behind the clothes I'm wearing, a chair that I'm sitting in, the desk that I'm at, the room, the house that I'm in, there's a creator behind all of these things. So I kind of believe that, you know, there's a creator behind whatever we see. And, you know, and I do believe that evolution occurred. I do believe dinosaurs. I believe in all of those things. I think they were existed and all of that. And I believe that, you know, God is, is going to, um, be for everyone. I think that, you know, I think there are sad things that occur and I think there are bad things that occur, but I think it's simply because God has allowed some very, um, I guess, and I know that the word devil was used, Satan was used in the book, but, um, unholy, you know, spirits. I think there are things that we can't see that are happening. There's those, you know, realms of things that are taking place or warfare, so to speak, spiritually, that we just can't see what's going on, but it exists. And I think, you know, in people's hearts, it, you know, there are people that ha have hearts that are completely closed off, you know, and I, but I don't think God hates any. I just don't think, I don't think there's, I think, but it's fine if you disagree. I, I respect your opinion on that. Um, I just have to kindly disagree with you. Um, just because if I was an all knowing, all loving, uh, being that could fix the wrongs in the world, I would do that. I would not allow children to be raped. I would not allow children to starve to death. I would not allow children to only know pain. I would not allow people to live in this world and only know pain. Um, and that is just me as a person that tries to love and accept. And if I had followers on this earth who were putting children through the things that Luca had to go through in the name, in my name, I would tell those, uh, those followers to stop. But he does nothing. He, if there is a God, he just likes to sit there and watch. And I don't agree with that. And if that God is real, I don't want it to be anywhere near him. Um, mm -hmm. He is not the kind of person I want to be around. He is not the kind of being I want to be around. That's my personal opinion. I am a good person. I try to do good things. I put good things into the world. But I, and I don't want to go to a heaven that, will damn me just because I didn't believe in something. Um, and I think that a lot of God's creation can just be, it's just, it can be scientifically explained. Um, and then you, you mentioned driving past a field with flowers, but that field probably has seen bloodshed. That field has probably seen some really terrible things that's taken place on it. Um, and pretending that that field is beautiful and only knows beauty because God created it um, is privilege. So that's my opinion on it. And I'm not trying to convert anyone in here. Um, my books were not trying to convert anyone to be an atheist. Um, I was just really wanted to highlight some of the terrible things that occur every single day in the name of a loving God. Yeah. 
And, you know, those are, those are all good questions. And I think it's, it's good to question things because I think the more we question things, the more we find answers to those questions. Um, so I think it's always good to question and to find out. Um, and your book, your covers, do you want to show the covers? Your book covers are very, very well done and they're very attractive. Can you, the first one. (laughs) so I'll talk a little bit about each of them. So I had a, a friend, um, who offered to draw the covers for me. So this is original artwork. Uh, her mm-hmm. name is BV. She's lovely. Uh, this one's Born in Sickness. It's the first one in the series. Um, we talked about concepts. Uh, this was the second concept I came up with. Um, I saw a picture online of a guy who had his makeup done similarly to this. Um, and I thought of that and she said, yeah, I can do that. She sent me it. And then she had another friend that was able to put it together. Um, and then we brought the tears along to the back. So that's the first one. Um, and then the second one is right here. Um, there's a common theme throughout all of them. There's a rainbow element and typically that rainbow element comes from inside. Uh, so the first one was tears and then this one is veins. Um, so the concept of the heart, I think this one was the third one we came up with. Um, this one's sweetness and innocence. And, um, on here, there's a little detail of a lock with a cross on it. Uh, because there is a common, um, metaphor that goes throughout the book that, um, religion was kind of used as a cage and Luca finally felt like he was free. So the heart is a literal cage and then the lock is a little cross. Um, Mm -hmm. and then inside of the cage is the veins, which are rainbow. So it's very symbolic in that way. And then the back goes on with the, um, with the, uh, veins. The third book is my favorite cover, but it can be triggering. So trigger warning <laughs> to anyone who um, may have self-harmed in the past. Um, but it's my favorite because of that. It's just very beautiful to me. Um, it's this one. It's called Paradise and Death. Um, if the cover triggers you, probably shouldn't read the book because the book is really going to trigger you. <laughs> I think you would be able to attest to that. <laughs> There's a very... Um, graphic scenes in this book um that would trigger somebody um so originally this was the first one i came up with um the scars being uh rainbow and then this scar actually started off as rainbow but it looked really graphic so we decided mm-hmm. to make it black and then just keep the rest of the scars uh mm-hmm. rainbow but this one's paradise and death and it is literally my favorite um so- is the first one that i came up with so your your friend drew each one of these covers Yes. And so, okay. Did she give you those covers like for artwork in your home also? No, she just gave, I have a copy of all of them, but, um, she, she gave them to me to use in whatever way I wanted. Um, but I mostly just keep it for book covers. I wouldn't mind hanging them up. That's a really good idea because <laughs> they're quite beautiful. Um, and then the last one was the hardest one to come up with the hardest concept. It, we went back and forth a lot. Um, because we, I just couldn't decide. Uh, but it is um, a boy who is very thin. Uh, this is gentleness and sin. This is actually Luca. Um, and all the handprints on them represent the people who touched him in camp. And then, of course, the rainbow handprint over his heart um, is symbolizes Harlan's handprint and how it, you know, imprinted over his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this was, like I said, is the last one. And the back has fingerprints on it. 
and then each cover gets lighter and lighter um, and then there's a little church on the side and the church gets darker and darker to symbolize losing faith um, and then the covers get lighter and lighter um, to symbolize you know that it does get better and there's light at the use metaphors like you would spices in cooking i like to like zhuzh it up a little bit with metaphors but not overdo it because then you kind of lose the story within them um but i wanted my my books and covers to reflect the type of writing that's inside which is definitely more like you said literary and poetic um one of my friends is a an english teacher and she's like i like she told me that she likes my books because they're they're really fun but they're also a little more highbrow and literary and i was like what does that even mean <laughs> i've never taken a creative writing class i've never taken any kind of uh class that taught me how to write i just do um, so yeah i was like so i don't know what that means but thanks i'm gonna say that that's a, a compliment <laughs> yeah definitely um have you ever read the goldfinch by donna tart i don't think so no okay it i believe it's a pulitzer prize winning novel um donna tart also wrote the secret history um you may enjoy some of her books um possibly uh, the goldfinch the goldfinch by donna tart is probably one of my all-time favorite books ever so i would be curious as if if you like it or not um i don't think you would like any of my books because i write in first person and i think oh, yeah, um it's a struggle for me <laughs> um so i i i don't think because i i remember reading in in the book that okay i was like i <laughs> I just actually made a, uh, made it a book for a friend and it was held in first person, mm -hmm. um, present tense. And I, I, I adjusted, I just personally like third person and I don't know why that is. Um, mm -hmm. first person makes more sense for MM genre because, uh, then you don't have to overuse their names. Uh, so I get why cho people choose first person and it's just a personal preference. Mm -hmm. It was just, I just made a joke in it because. <laughs> things that I believe necessarily uh, but it was a joke because um, I uh, one of my friends was talking about how she hated first person so mm -hmm. it just kind of ended up making its way into the book yeah <laughs> yeah I, I like I said I have read it's, I read uh, it's called a her book was called a risky play and I read that and it was first person uh, present tense I do prefer present tense for books uh, but I, I don't mind past tense nothing very little bothers me. I don't think I don't think I'd like second person um, or that kind of thing. But uh, first person past, first person present, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll typically read it. Um, mm -hmm. I do prefer third though. I will. I'm not going to lie to you. I do mm -hmm. prefer third person. <laughs> okay, MK. Do you have any other questions for um, for Lena? Um, I was just going to ask you if um, you would ever shoot into like another genre with your writing. Ever. Um, I think I'll probably continue, I think I'll probably continue in like the, uh, LGBTQ, uh, genre. Um, but I definitely, um, my next I mean, series, be, like, romance mystery, I mean, it could totally be in that, yeah. you know, LGBTQ. I just wanted if you go into it, maybe a different, not, not just only romance, but maybe yeah. adding something else to um, it or anything like that. I, I don't know. I've played with the idea of uh doing something more on like 
the mystery suspense side. I do really like writing suspense. I, I think I pulled it off really well in the third book of this series. Yeah. Um, I like to build intrigue and things of that nature because I have a personal rule when I write that I don't reveal something until it's revealed to someone else in dialogue. So you, for example, Harlan's story, you don't find out until he tells Luca. You mm-hmm. don't find out that Harlan is, um, his mom is kind of not there until he has that conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just like my personal role. And it's how I think I try to keep the books more intriguing mm-hmm. and um, having people ask the right questions. Um, mm-hmm. The next in my the next books that I'm going to be releasing um, is a dark mafia romance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. yeah, it's definitely. Um, whereas this book was uh, this series, the Take Me to Church series, was dark because of outside factors. Uh, this one's dark more because of the characters are um, morally great, uh, <laughs> and um, the second one in particular is a very toxic relationship um, that does get better, but. Um, that's going to be my next on my list. I'm, I'm writing a rock star romance. Um, I have a lot of just random, like some that fall more into erotica that I've written that I just haven't gotten a chance to like um, fix up. But I, I definitely like the idea of experimenting. I know that like people always like stay in your genre, stay in your lane, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just think staying in your lane is really friggin' boring. <laughs> so <laughs> I like the genre bend and genre jump and, um, been uh, like those rules uh mm-hmm. because i don't i don't think there should be any rules in publishing and you should write what you're passionate about right. um, does that be- yeah will that pay the bills <laughs> i don't know uh, <laughs> but, but i i definitely mm-hmm. i have like a list of story ideas some of them are supernatural some of mm-hmm. them are more like post-apocalyptic some of them are um like out there like a a a uh, pirate falls in love with a bioluminescent merman and like random crap like that yeah so like i have like a full list um yeah so i it's not that i i definitely have like ideas for a mystery or like a a suspense slash thriller it's just finding the time and i think that if i think my i hope that my readers would trust me enough to take them through a book experience that they might not necessarily go for outside of my writing. Um, but that's my goal is for people to be like, I trust this author and her writing to pull me through this genre that I might not necessarily enjoy. Um, that's my goal. And I think I've done that. (laughs) One of my, um, alpha reader she's a good friend of mine as well uh she started with me in the take me to church series which is very different than the mafia one i'm going to be releasing soon and she was not she was like i don't know if you're going to make me a fan of this and by the end of it she was like i need more <laughs> so i was like yeah okay that that i'll take <laughs> yeah you never know um have you done any book festivals like when i was in new orleans in march i was staying at hotel monteleon and i found that the tennessee williams book festival was taking place inside the hotel and i stumbled upon it because i had noticed that there was something that looked like a bookstore on the second floor so i wandered on in and i started you know shopping through the books and i noticed that everybody had lanyards on and then i realized that i had stumbled into the tennessee book 
the Tennessee Williams Book Festival, maybe by mistake. But I bought a couple of books, and I also noticed that the the LGBTQ plus genre is very prominent in that particular book festival. So I didn't know if you had heard of them, or I started following them on Instagram. That particular book festival, I believe it takes place around the dates of like March 20th in New Orleans. And they have, from what I could tell, they have a pretty big um, LGBTQ like section of books. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a big genre for that particular book festival. I've uh, never done any book festivals. Unfortunately, I'm in a pretty secluded area I don't live, I, I live in a city, but it's a, it's a West Virginia city, which means it's not. Um, and it's about three hours to the nearest city for me. Um, so it's kind of harder for me to find opportunities like that. And then there's also the issue of like upfront cost. Um, I don't have a lot of funds to spend on, um, really anything advertising yeah um and it's just it's not even like the registration for the book fair but it's you know you have to bring several copies of your own books which can get pretty expensive and things of that nature um and i'm not saying that this career and this passion of mine isn't worth it it's just uh, I just, I don't have anyone that I can just call and be like, hey, can I borrow three hundred dollars? Uh, I grew up incredibly poor, um, and my mom is still uh, incredibly impoverished, and my dad uh, he died a few years ago. So I just I don't have like anyone that's just easy for me to be like, hey, can I borrow a couple hundred dollars? And I have like so much student loan debt, and it's just being. Growing up um, in poverty means that you start off life in poverty, and it's so hard to claw your way out of that. Um, And I don't want people to think I don't take this seriously, because I do. I love writing. I love giving my, uh, my works into the world. I just don't have the upfront funds that a lot of people have to sink, you know, $10,000 into um, editing and a a cover. And I just was incredibly lucky with people who believed in my writing enough to help me edit on my own and draw these lovely, gorgeous book covers for me. And, you know, I I am incredibly lucky Mm -hmm. with the people I've surrounded myself with that believe in what I write so much. but I also don't have anyone I can just be like, hey, I'm trying to start a writing, uh, an author company, a publishing company. Can I borrow $10,000 to get myself off the ground? I don't have that. Um, and being from the kind of area I'm from, even though I have a pretty good paying job now, like outside of writing, um, it still is It's just incredibly difficult to um, to find those extra funds that aren't going toward, you know, my really expensive car payment because I didn't have a down payment for my car or my student loan debt because I didn't have parents that helped me with student loan debt or uh, our house payment. Well, we don't even have a house payment, but our, our rent, which is incredibly expensive and twice as much as a mortgage would be. And all of these things that I think so many people who grew up maybe a little bit more privileged don't even think about, um, because they can't maybe their mom gave them their first car and they were able to use that as a trade-in for their next car or maybe um their parents signed on the house loan for them or or maybe um 
their parents took out um, a loan for them to get an education. I didn't have any of that. So um, I, I've i kind of had to learn to do everything myself. And I took that into being an author, mm-hmm. uh, which unfortunately means I don't have a lot of the disposable income um, to sink into a lot of advertising and driving three hours to go to a book festival um, that I'd had to stay all night for and these things that sound really beautiful and lovely and something I would love to do um, but I just I can't (laughs) and it's out maybe someday maybe that that's the goal like someday Mm -hmm. I can like really put time and energy and money into this. Um, but for now, I'm just going to try to do things uh, as cost effective as possible mm-hmm. and hope that my readers mm-hmm. continue to support me through the uh, the struggle and maybe word of mouth. Right. Have you ever written, have you ever put anything out on Wattpad? Um, no, but I did start off in fan fiction. Okay. I'm not going to tell you the uh, the 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 ship uh, <laughs> or the fandom. Uh, I I keep that one to myself. But um, a lot of my readers actually came from um, fan fiction uh, because they became a really big fan of my writing there, um, and uh, that's where I got a lot of my current readers. Okay. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, people so. really like look down their nose on fan fiction and stuff and i get it in some ways um but it's just it's a really <laughs> it's a really good diving board for a lot of people a really good starting point yeah it, it lets you build a fan base um mm-hmm. and it lets you discover things about your writing and improve yourself without mm-hmm. having people like demolish you in reviews uh people are as people are are just as mean in fan fiction but at least they're not paying for it so they're not feeling like they got ripped off they just paid their time for it um so i think and i think fan fiction just allows you to to explore more um things that maybe traditional writing doesn't necessarily allow right oh absolutely yeah um i had another question for you and it has slipped my mind It happens. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I know what it is. I was going to ask you, Anna Todd, are you familiar with Anna Todd's After? Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Okay. Because I've never read it, but I am, I'm familiar with it. It's, um, the, my problem with it is um, I'm not like bashing anyone or what they enjoy reading. Um, I just, uh, I think that sometimes the characterization of, I think his name is Harden or whatever, um, is a little unforgivable. Um, when you're writing an asshole character, there's a fine line of redeemability. And I don't know if she would be able to achieve that for me. And that's just my pers- my personal preference. Uh, we had mm-hmm. that discussion on consent earlier. So maybe I just have really high standards. But mm-hmm. um, Anna Todd's a great example of someone who started off in fan fiction. Right. Um, the Fifty Shades of Grey started off as a fanfic right. of Twilight, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of great examples of that happening and right. uh, Wattpad making people mm-hmm. famous and mm-hmm. all of that. And um, maybe someday that'll happen for me, but I doubt it. I don't think I have anything on Wattpad anymore. Uh, I think I deleted everything because uh, their terms of service is a little sketchy these days. So I try to like, I, I'm a little weary of it now. Mm-hmm. Um but maybe I'll do something serialized. I was thinking about trying out Vila, but uh, I heard that not a lot of readers are on it yet. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's not something that I'm against. I do think that I do really well when um, I have a deadline. 
So mm-hmm. if I'm writing with a deadline in mind, um, that helps me. Um, cause I, I've been struggling with this current series I've been writing because I don't have a deadline and I don't have any expectations. I have to, uh, you know, people aren't expecting me to post a chapter or whatever, like a serial platforms. Um, mm-hmm. so I thought about trying out serial platforms just because I think mm-hmm. that it might give me, um, I'm a procrastinator to a fault. And, uh, I was the kind of kid that would do a paper the night before and still get an A. Uh, because my best work comes out of being in pressure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a big, I'm a big fan though, of, uh, people starting off on, uh, these serialized sites. And because I think there's a, that's a good way to build readers and to build a fan base, um, that will follow you. Um, some of them mm-hmm. only expect you to continue writing in fandoms and things like that nature, but mm-hmm. you do find some really true fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've every like writing group I'm in and people are like, Oh, how do you find your readers? I'm usually like pick a fandom, <laughs> go write in a fandom for oh, a year yeah. and you'll definitely find readers and supporters because, mm-hmm. um, people end up falling in love with your care, the way you build a, a, a world and the way you, um, you know, your personal writing style and your character mm-hmm. arcs and your story arcs and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll read whatever you write after that. And it's just mm-hmm. finding those people that fall in love with it. Right. Yeah. Very good. Right. Very good. Well, tell, um, tell That's our cool. listeners um, how they can find you um, all your sites that they can look for your books on um, and tell us, you know, your, your handles on all your social well, my social media handles on everything is at LM Archer Books, um, the same one that I have for Instagram. I have Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and uh, TikTok. So I'm on all those platforms. I'm more active on some rather than others, <laughs> which happens. Um, my books can be all found on Amazon, uh, or you can find them on lmarcherofficial.com. Um, and I have signed copies available on my Etsy shop. Um and I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Nope, that's it. I'm pretty easy to find. Is your Etsy shop the same? Yeah, same handle at ML. Yep, at LM Archer Books. Sorry, I've been talking a while. My throat's starting to. No, that happens. Well, I just want to say thank you so much um, for being with us tonight. We appreciate you telling us all about your story and about you know your books and your characters and this series this take me to church series with um the first book is born in sickness the second one yeah, is um born in sickness bo- and then and uh we have sweetness and sweetness innocence is the second book. sweetness and innocence <laughs> and paradise and death and then yeah. gentleness and sin is the fourth yeah. book Last one. Yeah. yeah and then you've and you're working on a mafia series right now yeah, which is it's a trilogy. A trilogy, um, and okay. then yeah, uh, it's written. It just it's being edited, and uh, you know the fun part, mm-hmm. <laughs> sarcastically. Well, <laughs> that's the part that takes the longest a lot of times. Um, uh, MK yeah. is working on two books right now at the same time. I don't even know how she does it because for me, yeah, I have I to do. like just be like down the rabbit hole, yeah. literally concentrating on nothing but what I'm writing for like six, eight hours a day. Or if the if it if it comes that easy, I work on it. But if I'm if I if it if I get to us, I think that helps. Mm-hmm. I think if it's two different genres, it helps because it helps mm-hmm. you keep 
them straight in your head. Uh, I've done that before. Yeah, I had, I was, uh, while I was writing the Take Me to Church series, I was also writing a uh, magical BDSM, uh, what's going to end up being like a series. Uh, so I get that because it was just very different. So it was, it was okay for me to like, in my head, yeah, I can separate in my head. (laughs) I don't, I haven't done that in a long time though. So, yes. Yeah, I'm about to jump into a completely different genre. I'm going to write historical fiction that takes place during the American Revolution. So I'm going to Long Island and New York to do some more research. I'll be there next week. Um, I've already gone up there and done research. Um, I have ancestors that um, founded the state of New Jersey. So they came over from London in the 1600s. And um, so... I kind of got interested because one of my father's um, cousins, his cousin, his wife or something a long time ago, like did all this research and like gave my father this folder of papers and said, oh, you you know, and so I kept that for a long time and um, finally did something about it. And I'm now in the DAR, but, um, and hold a position, um, do a lot of volunteer stuff with the, um, chair a couple of positions in that with the good citizen. I just did some award ceremonies for seniors yesterday and the day before with the good citizen award. And, um, so I kind of got interested in the, especially the culper spying, which is Washington yeah. spies. And, um, I kind of got fascinated by watching turn on Netflix and kind of got interested in that and kind of went up to long Island and to talk at New York and did the culper spying tours and kind of got really interested in that. So I'm going to try to write, in that kind of that's the culprit spiring, but kind of do blend fiction with you know fact and fiction together. And some of the authors that I really enjoy reading that have done a really good job on that is Laura Kamoy and Stephanie Dre, who wrote America's First Daughter, and they also wrote a book called um, My Dear Hamilton. And both of them they work together, you know, um, on the same book and they seamlessly tie this fiction and this fact together. And it's very impressive. And I don't know if I could, do it. <laughs> but I'm going to tackle it. And so I'm kind of nervous. Fiction scares me to death. I don't think mm-hmm. I could ever do it. I just, it's one of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to, and I'm writing it in third person. <laughs> I'm not writing You're, it in first yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's going to be hard for you to adjust to, too, I guess. Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit. I mean, maybe first comes more naturally. But um, yeah, I don't think the the genre calls for first, though. It just doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. Historical fiction is usually more in like the third person genre. Like we were just talking. I was like, I know that romance is typically first person these days. Uh, but I, I'm fine with not doing what everyone else is doing. Obviously, <laughs> this is not my style. <laughs> Maybe when third person rolls back around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe a third person will yeah. roll back around. I'll get famous. <laughs> well, we have really enjoyed our conversations with yes. you, and um, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be with us yes, thank and. You. Um, so we've had a really good conversation and we are going to, I'm going to spend a lot of hours, um, working on the edits for this, um, this episode. So (laughs) I will, I may be up until 1am. I'm not sure (laughs) how long it will take. Oh, well, Um, thank you. 
I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about my books and Mm -hmm. this was a really great conversation. I enjoyed your questions. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun and I love that we can, you know, agree to disagree about certain things and we can still be friends about it. And that's the most important part. And that's what's beautiful about being human. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, you know, communication. It's all about trying to understand someone else because you never know. You never know until you ask. And I think it's important to ask those questions and it's important to find out because, um, because everybody has a story. Everybody has, um, something that you can learn from. And I think that's important. It's important to learn and reading allows you to learn and reading is very important. Um, and books are very important and different types of books are important. So all books are important. And so we feel that all books are important. We feel that all authors are important. Um, and I love that we started this podcast in January and I am excited to bring new and interesting and different authors to the platform. And I think you are a very, very talented writer. So congrats on that. Um, That is definitely a gift and not, it's kind of like singing. Some people are really good singers and musicians and, um, I can't sing a lick. I can't sing anything. I can't sing a note. I wish I could. It would be great. But that's one thing I always wish I could do. But um, it, I think you're very talented. So um, well, good luck on there. It wishes they could write like you. So that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so good luck with the next book. And um, we will send you the link to the Spotify um, episode so that you can share it on all your platforms. Yes. And we thank all of our listeners and everybody out there. Thank you to Anchor Podcast. Thank you to um, Instagram. And thank you for our listeners. Thank you to LM Archer for being with us tonight. And we say good night. Good night. We'll see you guys back in August. Yep.